0: Join the, conversation. Join the conversation You're with Kate Talk. 26 minutes to 10 and a very good morning to you And joining you, not only has he got a doctorate, a doctorate and a doctorate He also has a vaccination uh, Christmas, doctor, 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 how
1: are you this morning? I've booked my second one, actually, but now I'm hoping it's going to turn up because you'll have seen the news around the world that uh, people are beginning to shift in terms of their view about uh, letting vaccines leave their country or continent. The EU are posturing about what they're going to do. They've already blocked Australia accessing some vaccines. Now we have the Serum Institute of India. Uh, seem to have disallowed a shipment of AstraZeneca's vaccine to head the UK's way. And uh, Boris Johnson at pains to emphasise this is nothing to do with the Indian government. It's uh, just a hold-up. But no-one's actually explained why there's a hold-up. And people are saying, well, is this is this vaccine nationalism kicking in? And um, the danger of this is, of course, it's easy to look at some countries and say, right, well, they've got loads of loads of people vaccinated now. We'll just pull the rug. But the problem is it undermines the whole international treaties slash agreements slash paid for contracts which means it's very unlikely people will then be willing to pay up front for expensive things and and take these risks in future and so it it could be turning a shot in the arm into a shot in the foot so i think we have to be really careful with this sort of thing
0: sinking ship hey When when a ship sinks and you've got your family on board who do you rescue first
1: I think that's exactly right and this, this is why people are now beginning to look at their own countries and say well hang on a minute why are we treating the rest of the world but at the same time if you've got cash flows and exchanges for uh, of contracts and you're trying to encourage and foster international trust the way you do that is not by uh, then ripping up the paper at the last minute because if you look at what um you know Ursula von der Leyen who is the president of the European Union at the moment is saying they're talking about enacting an article a particular thing that can be used as a political instrument that hasn't been used since the 1970s when there was an oil crisis but that would give the EU control over any business Operating within the jurisdiction of the European Union and they could seize assets they could seize outputs from those businesses and they can seize control I think possibly just temporarily but seize control nevertheless of patents and so this means basically any business that was thinking well shall we invest in Europe well they might activate this thing and that means that if I'm making a product I, I might see my product taken out of my hands, albeit temporarily. And this would mean, well, where should I invest instead? Maybe i invest <laughs> elsewhere. So it, it can in yeah. the short term be a useful instrument. But if not used very, very wisely, these sorts of government interventions can enormously damage confidence in the economy of a, a continent, a, a particular trading block or whatever. And that can have longer term repercussions that can be more painful. Than the short-term benefit um, or the short-term thing that you were trying to, to avoid. So, this Absolutely. this is certainly you know this virus and this pandemic is certainly producing really strange times, isn't it? It's making people behave and countries behave in ways that perhaps we wouldn't have predicted.
0: No, uh, exactly, exactly, Chris. Uh, but uh, did the UK well? If you're obviously waiting for more vaccines, did you buy more vaccines than you needed?
1: Uh, yeah what the uk did is to appoint about a year ago this time a year ago because it was this week that the pandemic was declared by the world yeah. health organization and and then by now a number of countries were beginning to shut their their countries and had realized the magnitude of the threat that was coming their way or already manifesting in their country and a task force pretty promptly after that was appointed in the uk They were separate. They were a group of uh, high-powered individuals who knew the situation, knew the sector and the industry, knew the challenge they had ahead of them. You've got to secure vaccine capacity for the citizens of the country. And obviously you don't put all your eggs in one basket because you don't know when you don't even know if it's going to be possible to make a vaccine let alone make a coronavirus vaccine, that will work and do that in months, not years. It normally takes a decade to do this. You don't know where to invest. It's a bit like the stock market. You do not put all your eggs in one basket. What you do is you spread bet, you spread the risk, and that way... You gamble on the fact that you are going to win big in a few cases and you are going to lose a lot of money in other cases. But the big win is more than going to adequately pay for the, the losses. That's exactly what they did. They very cleverly spotted, very accurately. It was an amazing tour de force by the people who did this. They spotted and predicted which companies were the front runners which products were going to be over the line first and who had the manufacturing capacity to back it up. And then they put enormous, great, ambitious orders in with those particular suppliers in order to be first across the line and make sure that there was adequate vaccine capacity so that if some of these vaccines didn't deliver, which we know some some are going to fail, uh, they yeah. would have capacity to treat the, the country. Now, what that will translate into is an oversupply in the short term. And what Boris Johnson has said is that if there is oversupply, then the the British will donate those supplies internationally to prop up anybody and everybody who needs needs help. And that's fantastic. And that's going to happen. But at the, yeah. at the same time, you can only do that if countries that are making these vaccines actually honour their offer, and, um, well, exactly. and they haven't. And so you'll end up with a situation where the UK may have said to a number of African countries, or to COVAX, there's the international organisation that's, that's distributing vaccines to, on an equitable basis internationally, that a number of countries have signed up to this. But if, you, if you've paid for them and they haven't arrived in your country, you can't then give them to the COVAX initiative. So it could actually end up robbing other countries because of someone's perceived efforts to safeguard their their own supplies. So you know the ramifications and repercussions of this could make COVID rumble on for much much longer. Which is why I'm saying we need, we need to be very cautious. It's very easy to take a short term viewpoint. Oh, we we must look after this country in isolation. But in fact, there are there are implications and, and consequences for all these things. Actions have consequences, as people often say.
0: The other argument could be made, and we'll go to Peter and Ronda Bosch has got a real question for you. <laughs> um, it could be that, that so the richer countries uh, stockpiled all of this, preventing the poorer countries who had to get money together to try and get this from being able to secure anything close to what they need at the time they needed it. So that is the other side of, 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 of you know the richer countries mm. with better GDPs, better GDP to debt ratios, stockpiling different types of vaccines for their own people. Yeah, there's the no, there's no stockpiling well.
1: going on though. Yeah. I mean, let's emphasize mm. the, the rate of supply is the limiting it's factor. Not, okay. So as soon as yeah. things flow out of the factory, they go into people's arms. They have a limited shelf life, these sure. things. They also um, are in so... Uh, So much hot supply that they're not hanging around unless you are in Germany at the moment where uh, a million people have not turned up for vaccination. I'm told it's a million people, but certainly there's been a very big uptick in the numbers of no shows for AstraZeneca's vaccine off the back of the negative press that's flowed from across Europe since january actually and, and that's a yep. real travesty and i've been saying to people instead of just putting the kibosh on this vaccine i'm sure there are many many countries who would immediately say well we're fine you don't want it fine we'll have it please
0: yes absolutely dr christmas the naked scientist taking your questions this morning anything about everyday life peter in Rondebosch, hi there peter uh, good morning um doctor please tell me if i've had the uh, virus would i still need the vaccine?
1: Hello, Peter. We are advising people, regardless of infection status, whether or, whether or not they've had the, the, the infection, they should get vaccinated. And in fact, our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, is having his vaccine with AstraZeneca's vaccine today. And he ended up in intensive care and nearly died with coronavirus this time almost last year. It was April 2020. Now, the rationale behind this advice is several fold. One is that immunity to coronavirus is not long-lived. Regardless of what sort of coronavirus you catch, although you make a response, that response is not long-lived. It's not like measles immunity or rubella immunity where you have the virus, you are immune for life or you have a good chance of being immune for life. That's not how it works. It's very short-term. Number two is that the range of symptoms that people get with COVID, some people have no symptoms at all. In fact, 50% of the time, people have really trivial or no symptoms at all with this infection. Whereas some people end up really very poorly. Some people end up at death's door, some people cross that threshold. And given that range, you also see that reflected in the range of immune responses people make. So some people who have very trivial infection make very, very minor levels of immunity, whereas those people who are more severely unwell do make very high levels of of antibody. This we don't know for sure because you, you would not be able to do the experiment, but this, we think, translates into a range of levels of protection, secondary to natural infection with some people not having very good long-term immunity others possibly a bit better so the safest thing to do is to say to people regardless of your past status you should get vaccinated because the vaccines do consistently produce very high levels of antibody response and this is going to give you your best prospect for a protection full stop but be longer term protection which is why people are being advised to do that
0: thank you very much Thank you. Peter, have a wonderful day. Let's go to Clive in Swellendam. Hi, Clive. Hi the Morning to you, Doctor. Um, Just a quick question. Ataxia. Is there any cure or is there anything which we can take to give relief? Ataxia.
1: People who have uh, ataxia have movement problems and if you for instance reached out to pick up a pen you might find that your hand uh, went all over the place and it was very very difficult to to narrow down your fingers over the pen pick it up and then do some writing with it this is a problem of the n- central nervous system and it can have a number of different causes so it would depend on what has caused the motor system to do this and if that cause is something that happened once and uh, therefore it's not going to get any worse or if it's something which is a progressive condition where the cause of that is getting worse and therefore the symptoms manifest as as ataxia or for instance people struggle to walk because they can't coordinate their movements correctly If, if the underlying cause is a progressive thing that's getting worse then the symptoms are going to get worse. There are always things you can do for anything whether that's just helping people to be feel better supported as in you you can help people to cope better psychologically with their symptoms that's the most simple thing we can do right through to teaching people better strategies to anticipate where the difficulties are going to occur so they can plan ahead for how they can get round or surmount a particular issue or finding things that people can use or implement into their daily life to make life a bit better and easier for them when they're having these problems.
0: Okay, thank you very much thank for you. that. Thank you very much. Clive in Swell You're with Cape Talk.
1: This is Today with Kino Kamis.
0: And a very good morning to you, and you are listening to 567 Medium Wave Cape Talk. Dr. Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist, he's my sidekick this morning. He's the clever one. He's got answers to most things, and that is exactly what I'm asking you to do. Call in and ask questions about everyday life. Let's go to Denise in Table View. Hi, Denise. Hi, Kino. Good, and good morning, and good morning to the doctor. Hi, Denise. I'd like to ask the doctor, what what causes the dead body to go into rigor mortis, And how long does it last, the rigor mortis?
1: Uh, Denise, rigor mortis is an active process. When your muscles contract, the way that works is that inside muscles, if you were to cut through them and look with a microscope, you would see tiny filaments like threads. And there would be many, many of them all packed together. And the threads are two different thicknesses. There are thin ones and fat ones. And one of the sets of threads are called actin and the other one's called myosin and they interlink with each other. So if you imagine taking your two hands and you put your fingers so that you thread your fingers together so that each finger threads into the gap between the fingers of the opposite hand, that's sort of what the actin and myosin in your muscles does. When you want to contract your muscles, signals from the nervous system go into the muscle and release calcium inside the muscle, which then triggers part of the myosin to grab hold of the actin and then to bend and twist and this yanks the actin along the myosin or the myosin along the actin so they they slide along each other like grappling hooks and that makes the muscle shorter but in order for it to relax again it has to burn some energy to break the linkage between the myosin heads and the actin filament so the two can relax When a person dies, or in fact uh, uh, any sort of living thing dies, which has muscles, then it runs out of energy because the cells that are in the body stop actually burning oxygen. They run out of energy. And that means the muscles, which may have contracted by then, now can't relax. And because they've got no energy, they can't relax. They just basically stick together and become very stiff and rigid. So when a person dies, there'll be a period when they're okay, as in they are floppy, And then after a short while, as the energy levels in the cells drop away, the muscles will become rigid and they become stiff. And that's rigor mortis. And then after a period of time again, they become floppy and mobile again. And this is because by then the muscles have begun to break down and the muscle proteins, the actin and the myosin that do the contracting, have begun to break apart. And that makes the muscles then go floppy again. So there are are three phases. There's the immediate aftermath when an individual is dead but floppy then they go into rigor mortis and then they go floppy again and that's why when a pathologist goes and looks at a person who's died they can make an estimation if they're all floppy and cold they can make an estimation as to when they died if they're stiff and uh, and and cold they'll know how long they've been dead for and then prior to that well this is obviously a very very recent death because they haven't had rigor mortis yet and that's how they're doing that
0: thank you very much for the question malcolm and paro hi malcolm Hi. Um, Chris, the listeners might be keen to know a bit more about the vaccine. In particular, the messenger RNA vaccine, how long does it last in the body? But we in South Africa have the J&J, which is DNA. And I was keen to know what happens to the DNA that's injected with the vaccine.
1: These vaccines are, uh, as you say, based on the genetic material from the coronavirus. So in the case of, say, AstraZeneca's vaccine, the way that works is that this is a modified cold virus. It's a chimpanzee adenovirus. And they've taken the genetic code for the spike of the coronavirus, which is what it uses to infect our cells. So if you make an immune response against that, you basically gum up the works of the virus and it can't infect. They've put that piece of genetic information inside a modified cold virus, and you inject the virus and it delivers that genetic sequence into muscle cells at the site of injection, the muscle cells decode that message and, and basically turn themselves into a pharmaceutical factory for a couple of weeks, which makes enormous amounts of the coronavirus spike, which is what primes the immune system. Johnson & Johnson's vaccine, very, very similar, that uses another modified cold virus or adenovirus, again a DNA virus, as a DNA message in there, That achieves this. But what we know about these agents and these viruses is that the DNA does not persist in the long term. It doesn't get added to your own body's DNA. It sits in cells alongside your DNA. And, and we know well how this happens because these sorts of viruses infect us all the time. Adenoviruses are very common. And we know for a fact that the body has got various mechanisms to get rid of those bits of extra genetic information in the long term. The related vaccines are the RNA vaccines made by Pfizer. There's also the Moderna vaccine. And rather than using DNA, they use the chemical relative of DNA called RNA, This is, instead of being two strands wound around each other, one the mirror image of the other, RNA is just a single chain of genetic letters. But it basically works the same way. And they package this up into a format so that when you inject it, cells pick it up and they can decode that message, read it, and again make the spike from the coronavirus in your muscle cells, educating your immune system. These sorts of things are very short-lived in the body. RNA is a very fragile molecule and there are mechanisms in play in cells to break it down quite quickly because that's how they terminate the signal or the effect of, of reading genes. You don't want this stuff hanging around for very long. So cells have got clever mechanisms for spotting RNA messages and breaking them down. So you need a big dose and that's probably why you need two doses of, the, of these vaccines and they therefore limit just naturally because of the way cells limit the, the action of these messages how long they work for but we expect that within a short period of time as in days to weeks there won't be any of that genetic message for any of these um, vaccines left behind uh instead what there will be is the is the immune legacy of having programmed your immune system to recognize the bit of the coronavirus that they carried the message
0: for and i think our final question today joe do we have time i think we can a quick one from len hi len hi good morning um there's something that was sent on WhatsApp to me, and it's about Dr. Vernon Coleman. Um, COVID vaccines are weapons of mass destruction and could wipe out the human race. And, look, it's not something that I I, I want to talk about on radio, but I would like to perhaps send this uh this whatsapp message um, for you to have a look at and 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 for you to comment on at a later stage
1: well then uh, um, i mean the, the internet is awash with conspiracy theories and just cast your mind back there were people in many countries going around smashing up mobile phone stations because yep. of claims that the 5g signals convey covid to people which is absolute rubbish someone when i got my vaccine told me i had been injected with microchips which were enabling bill gates in order to track my movements and you know listening to my thoughts or something they even went as far as to send around on the internet the circuit diagram for these microchips Um. that were being injected into people Uh, when we looked up the circuit diagram it was actually a wow pedal for a guitar Uh, It's it's published on the internet. So it's just rubbish. And you have to be very, very careful that the reality is this, that if you catch COVID, then if you're an older person, there's a very real prospect that you'll have life-changing consequences from that. If you're a young person, you could get long COVID 30% of the time compared with what we now know and accept based on millions of doses administered. Very, very few side effects, if any, from having a vaccine. So I know basically based on the fact that I and millions of other people have had these vaccines, that uh, the best way to go is to get a
0: vaccine if you can. Absolutely. And we also had doctors who were trumpeting hydroxychloroquine. You've got to take it. It's going to work. Oh, prominent people doing that nonsense. And we found it didn't work. But um, Chris, always great chatting to you. Have a fabulous Thank you, Kuno.
1: Yeah, till next time.